Welcome to Slovo, the podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm your host, Halle Bearden, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Svetlana Ruth. Svetlana is certified as a medical interpreter for Russian by the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters, as well as being certified as a healthcare interpreter by the Oregon Health Authority. In 2017, Svetlana was named Interpreter of the Year by the Oregon Healthcare Interpreters Association. Additionally, Svetlana is a licensed interpreter trainer and conducts regular training courses for community interpreters, as well as workshops dealing with specific topics in the medical interpreting field. Svetlana will be presenting a session in Russian on the use of Americanisms in interpreting at the upcoming 63rd Annual ATA Conference in October in Los Angeles. And now, on with the show. Svetlana, welcome to Slovo. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Hello, Hala, and thank you for the invitation. All right, to get us started off, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into interpreting in the first place? Love the question. This traditional question usually leads to incredible stories, doesn't it? I did not dream of becoming an interpreter. And my career started by chance, which probably many people would say the same. I lived in Latvia and was working as a teacher of foreign languages in a Latvian high school. After the country became independent, Latvia was receiving support from international organizations in all different fields. One of them was Peace Corps that sent 12 Americans to aid the country in education, agriculture, and finances. So there were two Americans in our city of Liepaja. One was my colleague, an English teacher in my high school. So we, of course, became great friends, and I got to meet and to know many other Americans working in our country as they all interacted with each other. When the Peace Corps volunteers needed to travel across European countries for their meetings, conferences, and such, they invited me to be their escort interpreter because we needed to cross borders and do other paperwork and communicate with regular people at restaurants and shops and museums and hotels. So... That's how it all started. Uh, later, more opportunities presented, and I had a chance to work in other fields like business, banking, education, social services, and eventually I realized, not right away, eventually, I realized I do like this job. It's kind of challenging, but you have to take time to be prepared and it gives a chance to expand my knowledge in directions that I may not necessarily choose without a job assignment. So it was exciting because there were so many possibilities and that's kind of how I started to think of interpreting as a job or a profession for that matter. Very cool. And we do hear that from a number of translators and interpreters that they actually didn't intend or plan to get into the field. It just kind of happened. That's always really fun to hear how people end up in the field. 
So what inspired you to become a healthcare interpreter specifically? Because that's what you focus on now and you even got an award in 2017. So how did you end up in uh, healthcare? Thank you for asking. And uh, I will say right away, yes, I got the award, but I feel like it was just at the moment somebody recognized that my specific accomplishments were worthy. There are plenty, lots of other interpreters who should be getting the same award. Um, life is not always straightforward or fair, so I wish I could share that with others more than I do. Back to your question, how did I become a healthcare interpreter, what inspired me? So after returning to Portland, Oregon, getting settled and choosing Portland to be our home state and home uh, city, I've tried a couple of jobs, one in education and one in services for victims of domestic violence. Speaking foreign languages always was an asset in my life, and I wanted to use my language skills as much as possible. Also helps to keep the languages abreast if you use them. So as much of those jobs were interesting, and I did get to use my language skills and my interpreting skills, they were very taxing on my emotional state and personal life. So then I thought, I need a job that wouldn't overwhelm me and I would still love to do and realize that interpreting has opportunities with more specialization. Locally, we had two options at the time, court interpreting or medical interpreting. That's where the needs were. That's what everybody was talking about. I've considered court, but realized that working in a court does not appeal to me. And also at the time in Oregon, there were enough Russian court interpreters. So adding to the pool didn't make any sense financially. I will be just widening the pool and everybody is going to make less money, right? Simple answer. But then I chose medicine for a couple of reasons. First, I felt comfortable in that area with my previous knowledge and experience. Because when I grew up in the Soviet time, and worked as a school teacher, all school teachers in rural areas were taught basic medical skills. We had to take a medical nursing course during our studies in the universities. It included theory, anatomy, and terminology, first aid, and we also did a practicum at a local hospital. So I feel like I already have a nursing degree. It helps tremendously to be familiar with the field versus throwing myself into some place um, that I'm not very comfortable with. And the other factor was, I remember thinking specifically, I want to use my language skills and help those individuals, not in general, but individuals who need help the most. Nobody really chooses to become ill. People get sick even when they do absolutely everything right. It's an unfortunate um, situation most of the time. So from that standpoint, helping people who need help without making mistakes or bad choices is what really appealed on a human level. 
And then there was also training available for medical interpreters. So I jumped right in, completed the training, and proceeded to take my national certification exams. And that's how it all went on. That's fantastic. I know for a lot of people, that's also something really inspiring for them, being able to use the language skills they have to help people and make a difference in their lives and help them get the health care that they need. What do you love about working as a healthcare interpreter? I imagine it has something to do with what you were just talking about, but do you want to expand on that at all? You are so insightful, Hala. Yes, <laughs> um, I'll try my best. But I should say, first of all, it's truly easier for me to say what I don't like about working as a healthcare interpreter because that's easy. The pay and the schedule. I truly believe that the pay is not enough for the efforts, responsibilities, for the preparation that is needed for each assignment or for a comfortable life for that matter. We are severely underpaid. And also the scheduling. As a freelancer, often until the last minute, you don't know for sure if you're going to have enough work or not. It's very unpredictable. You can have busy day and lots of blanks the next time. But on the other hand, it's also a benefit of a freelancer. You can take the time off when you need it and you can choose your hours and how busy you want to be. So it's kind of tricky, but I do love everything else. So I truly love the being a part of the team, I feel like I'm working with the medical team and we work together to help each person to feel well or feel better, find solution of their, uh, for their health issues. I love the challenge of working with different people. Even the same doctor would speak differently to different patients. So it's never the same and in this field of medical interpreting, I feel that it keeps me on my toes. I also love learning new things because every day or every other day, there is something new, new concepts, new terminology, new medical discoveries. I find that fascinating. And I also like learning from my colleagues when we work together, collaborating on projects, sharing experience. So I would say in general, I do love my job. So when you think about your career thus far as a medical interpreter, are there any moments that stand out to you as particularly memorable? Absolutely. But I should ask, is there a limit how many moments you would like to hear? <laughs> um, you can tell me as many as you want. No, I'm happy to hear them all. All right. Um, it, I had thought of this question for a bit, and it's very difficult to pick one or two. So if you don't mind, I will share a few. And of course, there are lots of different memories. Some are happy, some are not, but they all remind me of what I do makes a difference one person at a time. So let's start with this example or memory. Rather early in my role as a medical interpreter, I had an assignment in oncology. A middle-aged person was told that 
The cancer had spread much further than anyone expected, and there are no treatments available, and they only have a few weeks left, most likely not even a month. So while interpreting everything the doctor was saying to the patient, I also tried my best to carry the tone of doctor's voice, imitate the volume, the speed of their speech. As you can imagine, the patient was very distraught, in shock. It felt like the conversation lasted for hours with silence and tears in between. But at the end of that appointment, the patient said to the interpreter, grabbing the interpreter's hand and holding it tight, without you, I would not believe this doctor. I would have questions what they said, but you were so accurate. I could see it. I could feel it. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for saying everything. It helped me to understand what my doctor and the God have for me. And frankly, even today, pardon me, thinking about it, I become slightly tearful. It being a part of somebody's life in such a unique moment and making a tiny difference for that person is invaluable. It's something that you would never forget and it stays with you, whether it's a happy moment or not. So these are the moments, the reasons that drive me as an interpreter to, first of all, always do my best. And remember you work with live people and it's very unique and you have to be very flexible and at the same time, keep your tears and emotions in the pocket because you may not interfere with their feelings and emotions. So at the beginning was a little challenging. That's why probably this episode comes first when I think about it. The other moment I'll share is quite the opposite. A young person learning that they do not have cancer. But it's unusual. So for two months, that person was coming to oncology and hematology clinic for infusions, believing all that time that they were getting treatment because of cancer. Whether the medical staff was not clear or the previous interpreter wasn't careful or the patient didn't understand what was said earlier, it doesn't matter. But during our appointment, the patient said something like, you speak English really well. Could you ask the nurse what kind of cancer I have and can it be cured? So of course I interpret the question to the nurse who is visibly surprised and immediately says, what cancer? You don't have cancer. So then the nurse went on explaining everything carefully, thoroughly. I interpret everything, watching the patient's anxiety melt in the way. The joy and relief that everyone felt is memorable, at, to say the least. It was my lucky day to really witness such a transformation. And as I mentioned earlier, these are such moments, they stay with you. 
whether it's a tough one or a happy one, again, you're part of something very special. I'm thinking of something else. So in the summer before COVID, this is a happy one. <laughs> in the summer before COVID, I got a phone call at a very early hour, like five something in the morning. Svetlana, can you help with an emergency baby delivery? And how soon can you be there? So I was there by probably 545. I know it was before six. Things were unfortunately not going well for the mother or for the baby. And very soon we are in the operating room for a C-section, a team of five tending to the mother, a team of four ready to tend to the baby. My duties as an interpreter suddenly expanded to beyond interpreting, as anesthesiologist says, stand right here by the mother, hold your hand, and make sure you interpret everything she says so I know every word she says. Well, of course, I interpret everything. But holding the hand of a woman who is going through this, I never expected that to happen. So here I am doing everything I can, including interpreting. It was a very special birthday gift. A baby girl was delivered, and it was my birthday. So a little miracle. And after all the complications, mother well, baby well, it's magical. That's what makes this job so unique, so special, because every day could be one of these moments and usually is. I don't know if that's appropriate, but I wanted also to share a memory about myself. I hope people will understand the reason for it. <laughs> Go ahead. So I was interpreting for a neurosurgeon preparing the patient for a very complex surgery. There were actually two surgeons together. A couple of days before, of course, I started to review terminology, read some articles in both languages, learn about the doctor himself, his specialty and procedures and whatever I could get my hands on. During the procession, the doctor emphasized that it is important not to simplify his speech. That conversation lasted for more than two hours and the doctor used a lot of high register terms complex, long phrases, and I was able to interpret smoothly without interruptions. I didn't need to ask for repetitions as I was taking notes. Everything well, particularly well. It felt great. This was one of the times when I felt confident and calm and proud of myself. I can do that. I've done it. I did it well. And again, I think I remember it because it reminds me how important it is for interpreters to always be prepared to refresh what you already knew, to keep working on your skills. I was just mastering my note taking. So it helped to, pre to provide the service at the best level I could. And it just made me feel really good about not only choosing this as a job and a profession, but also knowing that I can do it well. 
So here's another moment. And, um, oh yes, here's one more. This is fun. So a four-year-old child with special needs. The child is accompanied by two parents and there are two medical specialists and all the adults are having a hard time during this visit. One of the patients, one of the parents, pardon me, is needing the services of an interpreter. The other parent speaks English pretty well. Everybody's sitting on the floor in a circle of sorts, arguing, constantly re-asking, expressing some concerns, not trusting what they hear. At some point, all adults were engaged in a very emotional discussion. This four-year-old child stood up walked over and sat next to the interpreter, even a little bit behind, kind of. Everybody looked at the child and the parents said, you're clearly the most calm person in the room. This kiddo feels people. And if my kid sits behind you, you make my kid comfortable. Happy to make any child comfortable. If that is something that I can provide together with interpretation, yes, I will do that especially for a kid. This job is full of surprises, truly. And if you think of it, and if you remember these moments, I feel that sometimes these are the inspirations for future opportunities, and they prepare me to be more open to those possibilities. And if I may, one more, most recent. I feel like it's important to mention. A newly arrived Ukrainian refugee come into the clinic for the first time in this country with their sponsor. The very first reaction, a word coming out of that person's mouth was, wow, you're an interpreter? Nobody expected an interpreter. We didn't know there's a live interpreter. The patient learned that all the services for pregnant women are provided for free in the state of Oregon. And even though the pregnancy is complicated, there are experts to help. There's transportation available, car seats, baby necessities when the, com when the time comes, education for parents, all sorts of support services, all of that. But the patient was most impressed that there would be an interpreter at all future visits. And their sponsor doesn't have to miss work. And the patient can come to the clinic independently. Even though I don't speak Ukrainian, the patient was okay with that. We understood each other well in Russian, and it didn't matter whether it was an Ukrainian interpreter, Russian interpreter, for as long as there was a reliable interpreter to communicate with many staff members who are aiding to this young person in desperate need. Nothing matters when people come to see a doctor besides their well-being. So being able to provide an ability to speak freely, independently, is what we do. And I am delighted to be part of the crew that does that. 
I think that's enough examples and memories. Thank you so much for sharing all of those, though. Um, they're really interesting to listen to and definitely highlights how important it is for people to have access to language services and be able to understand their healthcare providers and get the help that they need. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you work not only as a medical interpreter, but you also do training for medical interpreters. So to transition into that direction, what inspired you to become an interpreter trainer? That's very easy to answer. I missed teaching <laughs> because uh, I'm a teacher as well. Though I have to say, this story will go back to my elementary school. I love stories. Hopefully everybody else does. My very first teacher was a strict and direct person. Her job was to teach us discipline, follow directions, not to question authority in a very Soviet approach. She was respected by adults and feared by the kids. Then in fourth grade, we were choosing which foreign language to learn. I wanted a romantic French, but I got assigned to an ordinary English. To my surprise, the English teacher was a petite lady with fashionable glasses. She was a delight. She was gentle, playful, knowledgeable. One might say she wasn't teaching us English, but she was teaching us to love English. Grades were not as important. Participation was. Freedom of expression. Then three years later, I had a geography teacher who looked, talked, and taught differently than anybody else. We played games and solved puzzles, took trips. It was a blast. Then the first year of college, an English professor came up to me after an entrance exam and said, well, dear, you can do a lot more and a lot better but you don't have a strong base. So if you're willing to meet me every morning before class and study very hard, I will help you to succeed. He took the time to work with me individually to help me to feel capable and confident. A distinguished professor working with a first year student, unheard of. I was very lucky to have such extraordinary creative teachers and later mentors in my life. So I always wanted to honor their unique individual approach and incorporate at least some of it into my way of teaching. I became a teacher of foreign languages first and I like teaching because often I needed to search for different ways to engage my students or present new concepts, make every lesson memorable or worthy to learn. So when I was attending interpreters training, I had a great trainer myself, again, lucky me, but it also made me think there's a great potential. There are a lot of interpreters who would need training and I can contribute to their success. 
also, I think in the first few months of working as a medical interpreter, I had witnessed personally several occasions when interpreters were not handling the situation the best way possible, or they were not prepared well enough to do their job, and that supporting other colleagues and promoting professional approach to this job sort of became my goal. And of course, naturally, the next step, I attended training for trainers, working side by side with very experienced, creative professionals. Living and working in Oregon, I can say um, that our state is one of the most progressive states in the country when it comes to interpreting and healthcare. There are more guidelines and requirements. They're more strict and clear for healthcare interpreters. There are also more local opportunities for training, more support from our government and state government for improvements. So it almost felt like a natural addition to interpreting, support others, help them to be better and share the knowledge and experience with each other. That's how it all came about. So what do you love most about working as an interpreter trainer? Mostly, I love seeing interpreters growing more confident, especially the beginners. I love seeing experienced interpreters offering support and wisdom to the beginners. I love seeing when interpreters become more accurate and more interested in improving their skills. So offering trainings also gives me an opportunity to share some of the new information and developments, all this new research and details on specific subject. So often I reach out to experts in the area for ideas and advice, which is always fun. Not only I learn more, but I can share that knowledge with more interpreters working in the field. Every so often I'm asked a question, aren't you concerned that you're creating a competition for yourself? I don't think so, but even if I do, I always honestly feel that I would rather work among professional, trained, prepared colleagues rather than not. So I'm delighted to be a part of this process and share what I know. That's fantastic. And it really reflects what I've seen so far in the interpreting and translation field. Even though I'm a relative newcomer, everyone that I've talked to so far has been very supportive and encouraging and truly interested in helping other people and helping newcomers and established colleagues. And they really want to see people succeed and do well. So that's something that I already really appreciate about translation and interpreting. So it's great to hear the same thing from you as well. So could you tell us a little bit about what kinds of training you offer? I mentioned in the introduction, you have dedicated courses that prepare people for the medical interpreter certification, and then you also offer some workshops. So just tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I will be glad to do that. Thank you for asking. So the main focus is a training program for interpreters. 
And it's not just medical, it's community interpreters. So even though we spend about a third of the time learning medical terminology, specialties and such, the graduates of my program also ready to work as interpreters in other fields, whether it's social services or community programs, business, education, marketing, many other opportunities because they get the skills and the knowledge on how to work in a specific field if they choose so, if it's not medical field. I would have to say that my training program is a bit different than other available programs in a couple of ways. And I do want to make sure that I'm crystal clear. I'm not saying it's better, it's different. There are many training programs nowadays that are set mostly for independent studies, especially when we move to remote platforms during COVID. Interpreter will meet with a trainer for a couple of hours and spend the rest of the week studying by themselves, submitting the quiz or whatever project they're working on. My students have a privilege or an obligation of working with the group and with the trainer for the whole duration of the 60 hour program. And my program is 60 hours because that's the requirement in the state of Oregon. Again, we're a progressive state. Our guidelines and requirements are a bit higher than most. The national certification institutions only ask for 40. Oregon decided that's not good enough. Let's make it 60 and 20 out of 60 hours are specifically dedicated to terminology and medical specialties. So 60 hours it is. We incorporate a lot of practice discussions, experience exchange, exchanges, brainstorming activities. It is very interactive. It is very intense. And I make sure that the activities are always adjusted to the abilities of a specific group and a specific individual. So I take the time to make those adjustments as we go. In addition to the basic training, I call it basic training because for some people, this is the first training they ever attend. And for some, this is the last training they attend because then they go on and taking the national exams and nothing else is required. So I named it a basic training. I also develop different workshops, discussion groups for interpreters to support their future further professional development. The topics for continuing education activities come from the needs of the time. For example, we have talked about mindful wellness even before COVID when several interpreters mentioned how they get overwhelmed in the mental health environment. So the workshop was created, focused on mindful wellness with specific practices, ideas, and training for interpreters who were interested and needed that. Ethical dilemmas is always a top of topic of discussions at all professional gatherings. And oftentimes, in my experience, it was 
a lecture about the ethical principles, maybe with some specific points. But I always thought there are more than one way to look at the situation, and there are certainly more than one way to solve any issue. So one person may not always know the best way. If we discuss it together and exchange opinions, we would come up with several good solutions. So that's how ethical principles and ethical dilemmas turn into discussion groups. The scenarios for those discussions always come from colleagues working in the field. They're always real, up to date, happening right now. So let's figure this out. I love those. They're very lively and extraordinarily helpful. I also offered, um, I offered several specific practice sessions for Russian interpreters, especially for those who were preparing for the national certification exam as the final exam is oral interpretation. We wanted to make sure to support each other in being best prepared. And when you go into this very intense and important exam, you would succeed. So we've done those. Then site translation was a hot topic for a while. Many interpreters suggested it for further practicing. So I developed a workshop, tips for site translation. Of course, it had a practice component. Recently, uh, NYU and UMass in interpreting programs had asked me to read a lecture about business practices. So came the next topic, what do you need to succeed? And I think my most recent, the latest research and the workshop is about Americanisms. It's a fascinating subject. I am continue working on it. Um, hopefully it will be interesting for some because it will be presented at the ATA conference this year. Absolutely. And that's a very nice segue into our final question. Uh, namely, you'll be presenting a session on Americanisms at the ATA 63 conference in October in Los Angeles. So could you give us a sneak peek of your talk? Sure. The use of American words by Russian speakers is not at all a new subject. And yet, I have to say it's a tough nut to crack. Translators and interpreters often make a choice to use Americanisms or not, and then they follow that decision for a while. Occasionally, the topic is ignored, especially by interpreters, because they get caught in the moment and don't analyze the interpretation as often. But hopefully, we would be able to clarify our positions on this subject check how they go along with the rules and expectations of the profession. There will be discussions, of course, practice exercises. We will focus mostly on interpreting due to time constraint and the fact that we would not have all the tools needed for translating exercises. But hopefully translators will find that interesting as well. The session will be in Russian and uh, 
I have to say, it's a great honor to be a presenter at the ATA conference, to be among distinguished speakers and masters of the craft. So I only hope that the subject will be interesting to attendees and that together we would answer the question to use Americanisms or not. I know. I, for one, am definitely looking forward to your talk and looking forward to meeting you in person at uh, the ATA conference in October. But it's been so delightful to talk to you today, Svetlana. Thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. Thank you, Hala. You are so kind. And thank you to all the listeners who find the time to listen. And if you have any questions, um, at any time, please let us know. We'll be happy to answer them individually or in any other ways and forms. If you come to ATA conference in LA, we hope to see you there. Definitely. And just a note for all the listeners as well, if you're interested in checking out Svetlana's website or any of her workshop or training course offerings, there will be a link to that in the description below the episode on SoundCloud. So definitely check that out and also register for the ATA conference and you can see Svetlana present in person. So thank you again, Svetlana. Um, I had a great time chatting with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Hala. Thank you for tuning into Slope, the podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. If you enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe and listen to past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thank you for joining us.